All right. Welcome back to the Whitetail Experience Podcast. I'm not sure what episode this is, but back by popular demand, a guy looking to take over the co-hosting spot of David Ebright, Jake Bush. Jake, welcome to the show, bud. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, um, we received a ton of positive feedback Oh, last time we had you on. And, and so guys were like, dude, you got to get him and you got to get Dan on again. We can, we can kind of tell you, you know, you guys are cut from the same cloth and the, 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 the conversation was just top notch. Yeah, I appreciate that. So, yeah, man, um, I guess to kick the show off, it is officially July, which is like the moment to, to push the panic button as far as whitetail prep. I feel like, you know, June 1st, you're like, okay, I got plenty of time, stuff's in order. July 1st gets here and you're like, oh shit, like it is not far away. What, what are you looking at? What is, is something that you're like, oh, I got to get this done or wanted to have done by now? Uh, so the big thing for me at this point, um, I've got the majority of my cameras out. I'd say 90% of the cameras out. So I'd really like to get the last few of those placed where I want them. Um, and then at this point, it's really just a matter of, of uh, glassing fields at night, waiting for cold fronts and and really just trying to take a good inventory of the deer I got around this year. Yeah, dude, have you seen, we are in like a two-week stretch of like 88 degrees is the low. Like the, it's all low 90s, high 80s. Like I'm like, I don't see me spending much time in the next two weeks trying to trying to align my wife and my work schedule up to, to get out. Yeah, it's been crazy, man. I've been out a couple times glassing too. And I mean, the bucks just aren't, they're not up on their feet very good yet. It seems like with this heat, uh, lots of does and stuff, but. But yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to some cold fronts in the near future. And like I was out, out outside literally like 20 minutes ago. Uh, I shot four arrows and let the dogs run around for, for a few minutes. And, uh, you know, I, uh, it's cooler now, you know, that that sun comes up and it's, it's noticeably cooler than say that last hour of daylight. I, I almost wonder if you'd be better when these temperatures are significantly, you know, in those low 90s, if you'd be better off to do morning glassing. You know, I've never really, I've never really thought about that. It might be a halfway decent idea. Um, I mean, it's worth the shot. Maybe I'll throw a morning at it this week and kind of see what I can come up with. Dude, last year I, um, so I don't glass near as much as you probably, oh, once every week to 10 days, um, maybe a little bit more in September. I was a little fired up, you know, for the opener. And, um, I think I batted a higher batting percentage of, of glassing deer over, over 110 inches in the morning really yes yeah um now and, and that could be subject to the fact i don't glass a, a lot i think if i maybe if i had more like what do they call that a sample size maybe that would not happen but yeah like dude there was a hammer right off like one of those county roads that you drive 50 on that's a little more popular than the back roads and he, he's just walking through the meadow stuff man just just you know it was, it, it was pretty cool i got pretty good footage um, and then I even glassed with Cody and he talked about like, he goes, you know what, maybe I'm just a morning guy, but he's like, I've glassed more bucks in the morning. Yeah, I'll definitely take something away from that. Um, I have noticed my trail cameras kind of light up in the morning pretty good this time of year, you know, like eight, nine o'clock AM normally, um, Interesting. especially with the more mature bucks too. So that might be something to take into account. Interesting. I, you, you know, I don't have like the years of trail cam data to, to, to show that or prove that, but that's, that's an interesting thought and, and something to consider. Um, Jake, I think I saw you buy a new backpack for fall, uh, fall use this year. What'd you go with? I ended up getting the, uh, a Sitka tool bucket. And okay. the reason I went with that, um, was basically just, it's, it's really simple. So there's not a lot of straps on it. Um, it's big enough. It's got a few compartments and stuff like that where I can place my camera gear. Um, I just didn't want an uh, overly bulky pack to set on my DS5 this year when I get that in. Okay. Um, I'm just trying to streamline everything as much as possible at this point. And I just feel like it's, you know, it's pretty quiet material. Um, so yeah, I think that that's going to be a step up for me. The hanger yeah. on, it's real nice. I can hang it when it's open, which helps a lot. Yeah. And is, is it made a, a that it's not like their fanatic backpack. That's like super quiet clothy material on the outside. Is it? No, not quite, but it's still like a, a softer material. Okay. Um, are you, I guess, uh, there's going down a rabbit hole here, but are you planning, like, you know, you shot your buck way back in. I talked about the dragging out this year just due to where my buck ended up dying. 
I'm, I'm heavily considering quartering out. Are, are you thinking similar process or anything? Yeah, especially early this year. Um, I think that that's definitely going to be something I'm going to at least attempt if I, if I fill my tag early. Um, but I mean, it just seems, seems more reasonable for some of these spots, you know, we're up and down ridges, sometimes a mile back in, and it's just that time of year, especially early season, there's still a lot of undergrowth. So it seems like they snag on everything. And I mean, it took me over five hours to pull that deer out last year. So. Yeah, I think, I think I was about three or four myself and, and I didn't have far to go. I, 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 but the, the snow had melted the day I shot him and uh, walking on those slick leaves was, was tough to go uphill and especially like those steeper embankments sometimes on a hillside. Where like I remember the first 10 yards to my hill climb took me a long time because I, I would, I would just make no forward progress. Like I literally almost quartered him out just based on the fact I couldn't get up a bank. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. You see like, you know, you'd be looking at a hill and it's like, Oh, I've only got a hundred feet to pull him up that hill. And then next thing you know, an hours went by and you're still trying to get him up top. Yeah. Now we have a jet sled. I think I saw your, I literally just watched your film. Uh, I touched a little bit of it this morning, but I rewatched the whole thing, I think twice in the last month. Now you, what are your thoughts on, on sleds versus, uh, um, oh, carts or packing out? Do you have a, I know we just talked about packing out, but do you have a preference of those two? Um, so far I mainly use the sled. The reason I went with a sled is I hunt a lot of swamps back in New York as well. And mm. it's just easier to get deer out of there. Um, the problem I ran into last year is when you get into these really big body bucks, they just, they seem to fall out of the sled. I couldn't keep them in there very good. That's a good problem and he to was have. Hanging out one way or the other. Um, but I mean, I've looked into carts a little bit too. And my biggest problem with carts is I haven't found one that's packable enough to kind of keep in the Jeep all the time. Um, yeah, that's true. They do take up more room. Um, I had a cart. I sold it. I had another cart that was like a single wheelbarrow design. Like it was it carried hundred pound does just fine. And then I shot a good buck and I ended up pulling the buck out. Like I literally took him off the cart for like the inclines. Cause I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. It was, it was a terrible idea. I, I literally saw that vendor at the deer and Turkey show the next year. And I was like, dude, like your, your cart's not made for 200 pound bucks. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. I've seen a lot of videos of like the wheels falling off and then guys dragging them out. And it seems like a mess sometimes. Yeah. And they're like promo video they're playing at the show is like flat ground and, and it's all small deer. Uh, and and I, I, the sled worked fine for hundred pound guys, but I'm like, you know, I would think I'm fitter than most, most hunters. And I was like, if I'm fucking struggling, ain't no way most dudes are doing it. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, I mean, if you quarter deer out, what do you have Two potentially what? 40 or 50 pound rucks yeah. that you're going to ruck out two trips of that. I mean, that's so much easier than pulling a 200 pound deer out of the woods. It seems like. Yeah. 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 If you look at like my body type, I'm kind of built like a swimmer or a runner. And so like I'm built to go twice. So, so my thought is I'll have my, my 1.0 or, or DS five, and then I have my Kuyu bag and I'll literally after the quartering process, I'll split the weight kind of between those two. And let's say I'll pick up the Kuyu bag. I'll walk hundred, 200 yards, drop it off. Now I'm resting and I can walk backwards and grab my DS5 and essentially pick that up 40, 50 pounds on it, walk that 200 yards. So I've got a little built in break and it's just an inchworm my way out um, kind of process is what I'm thinking at this point if I'm solo. Yeah. And I'm kind of on the same boat. I'm, I mean, my plan would be quarter them out, throw them on the DS5, make it back to the Jeep. And then I always carry a Everly stock X2 in the Jeep just yep. for like, a ruck bag basically. And that one I think would, would handle half a, half a deer pretty good. So I'd probably run back in with that and grab the other half and then come back out. Exactly. Like I do think like I had that X2 bag or even like a Badlands uh, 2200 is another popular bag. Any of those bags that have like a semi internal frame, I think would carry, you know, they got good straps on them. They generally got the hip belts, um, putting 40, 40 pounds on that thing for, for uh, let's say a mile walk is, is, is much more doable. Yeah. The only thing that I can say about the X2 um, for guys listening would be if you're a taller guy with like a longer torso, it probably wouldn't be the best pack. I mean, I'm 5'10 and the waist belt barely actually sits on my waist. I mean, it's just, it's a short pack. So I have to really loosen up the backpack straps to actually get that waist belt to sit on my hips the right way. Yeah. Yeah. So if anybody, any taller, they might have some issues with it, but. Yeah. That's a, that's a popular bag right now just due to its outside configuration on the saddles and stuff. 
Um, yeah, that was kind of my, my whole, uh, reasoning behind getting it. I mean, I still do have my saddle set up as well. So okay, that's now, just kind of in the, in the Jeep. I want to ask you this. Have you seen the teases of the double step sticks from, from Andre and, and Lone Wolf custom gear? I have, I, my, uh, my, I'm, you know what, I'm pretty excited about them so far. It seems like the, just the, uh, how streamlined they're going to be on that DS5 is something that I'm really interested in. Um, yeah. I hate, I just hate snagging on brush going in and stuff. And that's why I went with the minis this year as well, instead of the long sticks. I just, I want to get in there without having too many issues or like some of the ag lands, you know, you just have so much undergrowth that everything just seems to get snagged up. So yeah, I'm, I'm all for them at this point. I'm really pretty pumped to get them and uh and see how they work out see how good they stick to the tree yeah i've been talking to a few guys and my buddy andy brought this up and i thought this was a valid point um because those things don't appear to have that pivoting v bracket it's it's a little bit less to get that stick on the tree now true you probably like if you had a score sheet for sticks right you've got climbability packability weight which is probably a lower factor um and maybe like boot room, you know, you got like four or five scoring mechanisms there, you know, it, without the pivoting V bracket, they're probably not going to grab that tree as good as say like an XOP or, or a Lone Wolf custom gear. Um, but if they grab it like a six and a half out of 10 and they still pack super nice, I'm somebody that misses a double step at this point. I, I like double steps one for cameras just to, uh, cause you're, you know, you're st standing on, on two feet level and you're, you're, you're putting that thing up. Um, so I would definitely consider the double step. I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I had the Hawks for a couple eh, year or eight, 18 months or something like that. And, uh, I kind of miss, you know, a double step at times. Oh, for sure. And I mean, taking, taking something from you though, the jack around factor on those, I mean, there's really you don't even have to swivel the step down. I mean, there is no movement on those whatsoever. So, you know, I've, I've went with a couple of double sticks in the past that um, had a lot of moving parts and stuff. And I just, they were really packable and they were really light and nice and everything. But when, when I actually got to the tree, I realized pretty quickly, like, Hey, I'm going to spend, you know, two to three minutes probably actually setting all four of these sticks up at the bottom of the tree, trying to do it as quiet as possible because it's metal on metal contact and, I just, it was something that I really wasn't interested in. I'm, I'm trying to just simplify it as much as possible. And I mean, for me, when I get to the tree, that's the most critical point of my entire hunt is from the, from the bottom of the tree to the top out of all my hunt. I mean, I have to make that perfect. I can't make any noise. I have to be as efficient as possible and I have to get up the tree quiet without spooking anything. So if I have any sort of, you know, what I'm going to be anywhere from, let's say, 75 to 120 or 130 yards from a bedded buck from a four or five year old deer if he hears a clank it's over yeah There's how far did you say i'm sorry i like roughly probably 70 to 120 130 yards last year i ended up being set up like 75 80 yards away from that bedded buck okay that was a selfish question jake i i, I wanted to make sure i caught that yep yeah I, I i really try to be uh you know real aggressive with it and i think that that's why my gear is so important to me too, is just because getting in there like that, that close. I mean, the last thing I want is for something to fail. That's not on my end really that I, that I could try to uh, eliminate and just setting some of those sticks up outside. Even, I mean, I was just, I was struggling and keeping them quiet and it frustrated me. And so, yeah, for me, the double steps, definitely I'm interested for sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, uh, like I said, I came from a double step and, and it's, it's funny you talk about that, that, no, oh, that final setup is so key in just your, your, your style, you know, as far as I, I know you've probably listened to, there's been a few podcasts, um, out on the bump and dump. Um, did you have any, did I, have you listened to that podcast yet? Oh yeah. Yes, I have. Okay. What is a, you're a bed hunter, you're a public land bed hunter. You've been doing this, um, like on our last podcast, we, we kind of painted the picture of your resume. You're doing this at a higher level. What was maybe a couple of the key takeaways from that podcast, knowing that you, that's your hunting, you, you're not exactly bumping these deer, but you are a bed hunter. Did you, did you have any major takeaways from, from your aspect? I actually, yeah. One of the biggest things I actually realized how much I kind of already base my, my tactics around that system. You know, the one thing that Andre and Cody were talking about is a bump and dump doesn't have to be that day. And honestly, going into that podcast, that's kind of how I viewed it. But if you remember in our last podcast, talking about my mm -hmm. buck, I bumped him out of his bed two weeks before I killed him. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so that's kind of, you know, that, and it never really clicked to me that, you know, all last summer I spent so much time running these ridges and stuff all summer and actually bumping these deer to figure out where they're at and where they're bedded that time of year. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I guess it really never clicked in my head until I listened to that. I was like, wait a minute, like that's, that's really kind of what I want to do, but I want to get on a higher level than I am right now, like those guys. And yeah, I mean that, I mean, there was, there was a ton of good takeaways from that podcast for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I did that. And, and Dave and I had a lot of takeaways from your podcast. I, I, I would say um, uh, one, Dave purchased a few more cameras cause he was all fired up. Um, two was uh, the six out of 10 bed conversation when I was like, you know, I'm not a, I'm not super confident in my bed hunting game. Don't get me wrong. There, there are times I walked through the woods. I was like, there's no doubt a buck bed right here. But it's like maybe there was a buck bedding off this point two years ago and all the rubs are a little old and I don't have that confidence. And like I said, I walk away thinking it's a six out of 10. But when you kind of said, okay, if you look at your trail cams or even say you're in season scouting and you start picking up either a picture of a good one or a better buck sign in that area, that buck bed then becomes a nine out of 10 instead of a six out of 10 like I originally marked it on my Onyx. That, that to me, I think... I think was a huge confidence boost slash like, Oh, I need to make sure I'm noting all my six out of 10 buck beds in this, in the, the off season. Yeah. That's, that's one of my big, big things I do. I pretty much every bed I find I'll mark down on Onyx and I'll take uh, some sort of notes of it and everything and just keep them in the back of my head. And I'll always have that map pulled up and you know, anything could happen. I mean, you could be walking in, you could see a buck on his feet for some, say he gets bumped from another Ridge and you see him on his feet and then he heads to the Northeast and you look on your map, you're like, Oh, look at this. I've got, you know, for a West wind on that Northeast Ridge over there, I've already got these five beds pinned. He's probably headed to one of them at this point. Maybe I'll swing around now instead of targeting that Ridge over there. And I'll set up for him coming to a destination from that Ridge instead, you know, like there's always on the fly like that to have that intel is just a great thing to have. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And if you noticed in that uh, Andre and Cody podcast, like, Andre said, like, he will find bucks repeat bedding, like betting in a, in a spot repeatedly, like a, a big buck will, will tend to like a certain area um, year over year. Yeah, I think so, too. And I mean, I, I kind of told you in the last podcast as well, like I would, I mean, I've seen that a lot in the past, but I, even like a weekly thing, I bumped the same buck, you know, four or five times off a ridge in one summer, and it was 100% the same deer. And he was bedded in the exact same bed. I mean, it was like I couldn't get him out of there. And, man, if it would have been season, talk about a way to kill a buck. I mean, I had him pinned pretty much. But, um, but yeah, I agree with that for sure. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, you know, if I look at some of them, like I have never pulled it off. I have actually one of the first uh, attempts, I didn't even know what I was doing. We were doing a gun drive, right? And we did the gun drive at like 2 o'clock or 1 o'clock. Maybe it was 11. I don't know took a nap, went back out for the evening hunt. I had already tagged a buck. So I was kind of doing the same push I did like four hours earlier. The buck was right back in there. And, uh, you know, I guess lesson learned, we did not, we, we did not reset up on the, the escape route he took the first time. So he got out two, two times in a row, literally. Um, and it, dude, I was, that was probably my first or second year hunting. And then one of the more recent times that, that uh, we've tried it is I, uh, I was pulling a trail cam late season and I bumped a, a solid like PMY-ish, maybe 120-ish level buck. And, and Dave went back in there the next day to hunt. Uh, had a pretty good hunt, especially, you know, public land late season. Sometimes it's tough to even find deer. And uh, I think he saw like five or six deer. No, no shooter. The buck must have, I don't know. He, he, you know, he just didn't show or whatever. Um, in fact, actually, oh, Dave thinks based on some of the additional scouting in that area that the access we we went in there, he probably saw them set up. It just kind of looks like we need to to reassess. But you know, I've I've tried it a few times. I've never been successful. Have you ever seen it like work in that twenty four hour window that that like the classic bump and dump, bump them up next day, boom, kill them, or or have an encounter? You know, I really, I don't think I've ever, I've ever witnessed it myself as far as actually killing it. I've had encounters before and I was just a little bit off and that was kind of learning some areas and stuff like that. Um, but I think that it's definitely, I, I 100% target that. I target the 24 hour bump and dump more than I 
really anticipated targeting like a two week bump and dump. Um, but it's, it's definitely something that I want to keep getting better at. I mean, that's one of those, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to put all these pieces together to be as well-rounded as possible. And that's definitely one side of it. I think the big thing with that is trying to get the same weather pattern as well, because, you know, yeah. in the big woods specifically trying to get two days in a row that have the exact same wind or like velocity or, there's so many factors, especially on public with pressure and stuff that try to get that buck in the same bed two days in a row. Um, is probably the most difficult part, but if you can pull that off, that would be something special, man, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, I do plan to essentially be still hunting and, and stay, stay, stay scouting mode a little more. That's something I'm just trying to add to the rep. Like that was a major focus. Oh, last year I started really focusing on it two years ago. Um, and so last year I kind of got on a buck I was chasing. And so I didn't necessarily need to be scouting as much. Like, you know, I had a sheds, I had a trail cam, daylighting, multiple trail cam picks. Like, you know, I had enough pieces of the puzzle that said hunt your butt off in, in this area. And uh, I think this year, obviously like I'm, 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 I'm still an open playbook at this time, but like if it's October 5th and I don't have a lead, I need to be scouting and, 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 and trying to pull off, potentially the bump and dump and a factor I think of the bump and dump that that also needs to be talked about here is that that classic 24-hour bump and dump well you got to have time to hunt the next day oh for sure yeah that's another side of it as well you know Andre and Cody hunt a lot yeah exactly yeah you can dedicate you know a whole season to doing that I think it's probably one of the more effective ways to kill a big buck a really elite buck for sure yeah yeah, now come to rut, I don't know if I'm going to be sitting there, one, doing as much in-season scouting, um, just because at that time of year, like, I kind of, I, I feel like I've got some pinches figured out, I've got some doe bedding figured out, I, I might go back to the classic that time of year, hunting, hunting where I feel like I can get one to walk by me, or, or have a doe have him walk by me, um, yeah, yeah, that's just, you know, kind of my thoughts, but Jake, I guess let's let's go ahead and jump here into the uh, oh, kind of some of it like no, oh, this is like part two of the Jake Bush series. I, I just I feel like you and I are going to talk regularly, but I think a cool oh today topic uh, of conversation would be, you know, you moved from New York last year, right? Was it? Yes, sir. Yep, okay. last June. Last June, I'm not even so you didn't even have an off season or like a January you know to March time frame. So you moved in June. And what, I guess, did, did you move to Columbus at that time? Yeah, I moved to Columbus. It was like, I think it was June 13th was the actual day. Um, and I really started getting into scouting and stuff. Like, right about the 1st of July was when I really dug into it. So, you, dude, um, you, you've been in Columbus a year. Congratulations. Yeah. Welcome. <laughs> yeah, it's been, I'll tell you what, man. I feel like the intel I've gained in the last eight months has, has really been nice for hunting this year. I, I'm pretty excited to uh, – to put some of these new spots into work this year so let's paint a picture it is summer uh 2019 you have moved to a new state you are looking i i assume you're looking solo at public land or did you ever think about knocking on some doors yeah no it was just it was primary primarily public land um and i came down here kind of with that intention as well you know i've watched a lot of youtube videos throughout the years of guys knocking down just absolute slammers on public down here. So I was like, you know what? I want to go down there and I just want to really target public. And I mean, there's just so much public land in Ohio too. That's between, you know, it's just, it seems like it's all over the place. And I just going into it, that was kind of my, uh, my mentality. Okay. Okay. So when you, you know, when you made the move, I got to think you're, you're e-scouting, researching, researching, and looking, okay, and, and with I, I don't want you to name locations or anything, but like, you know, did you did you pick say nine pieces of public that said, you know what, based on this criteria, I'd like to to really take a look at some of these. Um, what was your thought process and as far as um, knowing you had a limited amount of time before season opened and you needed to get boots on the ground? So I spent a lot of time. Um, e-scouting was the first step on Onyx and it was, I, I use Google maps a lot too, but mainly Onyx. Um, and what I was looking for was, you know, I love the big woods. I love the hill country and stuff like that. So that's definitely my primarily, like what I'm, what I'm primarily going after. Um, but I was looking at different food sources. I was looking at, you know, like 
possible access from other hunters. I was, when I first got down here, I anticipated the pressure to be a lot worse than it is. And so I, uh, was really looking at like either overlook spots or spots that were just miles deep that kind of set up the way I wanted. And I would just pin like certain ridges that I expected would be good for betting. Um, you know, like say I found a North facing ridge, like or we'll say a ridge that runs East to West with like North points to jut out. Okay. And that whole ridge was clear cut it. You know, I'd like, I was trying to just find the thick areas that were out of the way. And I mean, I probably, I probably pinned a couple hundred spots. Um, and then when I got down, well, I guess to back up a little bit further, every time I'd pin a spot on a specific piece of public that I kind of liked that set up the way I wanted, mm-hmm. um, I would actually Google it. And I would just, if I could find that spot on Google, I would just write it off right away. I mean, if some, if there was a forum. Like, like you mean I, the name, the name of the public? Yeah. Like if I could get okay. on there and Google it and like archery talk would talk, would pop up and there would be like a 200 page thread on that piece of public land Jesus. saying how good it is. I would just stay away from it. Yeah. So um, I was really just looking for areas that weren't getting a lot of pressure. And I, I assumed, you know, in Ohio, you're going to have big deer, especially if they can get to that age class that you need, they're going to be big. Yeah. Did you look at size as a, as a factor? Like, Hey, I'm not going to look at anything that's like 200 acres, 20 acres, 40 acres, uh, I'm going to look at some of the, the the bigger pieces. Did you have a perimeter in that aspect? You know, I really didn't. I was looking for a specific thing more. And the reason for that is because I feel like a lot of these smaller parcels are really overlooked. I mean, you know, if you can get, I, I believe that honestly, the smaller of a parcel you get, the more overlooked it is by whitetail hunters. Now you're going to have probably a lot more small game hunters in there and stuff like that. They'll be more concentrated. But um, as far as like whitetail guys actually targeting these, these mature bucks like that, I think that you're going to have less of them. That's at least my mentality anyways. But, um, so yeah, it was, it was really just starting out, you know, cyber scouting, figuring out where people were or not. And then I would step foot on a lot of these places and I could tell pretty much right away how much pressure they got. Like, you know, I'm not going to mention names, but out East a little bit, there's some really heavily pressured public and that's because it's all over the internet. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. You find stands, you find trash, you find boot tracks all over. I actually went to a spot and I mean, it was the middle of summer and there was probably, you know, 10 or 15 vehicles that I saw that day of, of a group of guys wearing camo, you know, driving around with, with uh, binoculars scouting fields. Jeez. And every time I'd see that, I was like, yeah, that's, I need to just stay out of here. And I did burn, you know, a couple weeks doing that just to try to dial it in. And I got down to like, I would say, four or five really key pieces of public um that just seemed like they stood out to me okay and that's when i kind of you know took my approach and went boots on the ground at that point okay so four or five pieces um shoot i had a question in mind what was it Mm, nuts yeah keep going so you, you narrowed down to four or five pieces um and, and, and you're obviously probably looking at these things for that early season ambush, the, 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 the October ambush versus, oh, places that have like a lot of like rut type pinches. Yeah, I am for sure. Um, and that's something that I've been getting into a little bit more now. But yeah, last year I was really targeting, you know, my what I what I'm used to, what I feel like is my strong suit. And that's the first couple of weeks, you know, I was trying to locate destination food sources whether they were big woods or ag or whatever it was and just find these beds. Um, and as far as like boots on the ground, I mean, I, I've stepped foot on every pin that I had, every one of them, I'd make sure I made, I made time to get to, I mean, I spent, I can't even explain to you how many just hundreds of hours out hiking around. And what I noticed pretty quickly was I would get in some of these areas and they would just be blown up with sign. And I mean, I would bump a lot of deer. I wouldn't, I didn't necessarily bump a lot of does, but I would bump some really good bucks. Like, I mean, I saw multiple, I can't even tell you how many three-year-olds, some four-year-olds, some bucks that I probably think were, you know, five or six. And I always had my binoculars on me. Um, I'd always scout the ridges from the top down. And I think that's important too, because Ooh, that's a good when I come in and I bump the deer, a lot of times they'll run down in the bottom and they'll look back up. Oh, nice. And I could, I got eyes on a lot of those deer doing that. Where if you go the other way and you bump them up the hill, you might not see them. You know, it's funny you say that. Like, I'm just like recalling like three or four bucks. One was the biggest, one of the biggest bucks I've ever seen to date. And I was up top with a muzzleloader. And same thing, 
I was able to verify what kind of buck it was and I was high and they ran X number of yards below or, you know, maybe ran the top third or ran kind of the same level. And you're right. If I was up top bumping bucks, I've been able to see them a heck of a lot more than if I was low. Yeah. And the other, the other thing that goes into that as well, I think that if you're behind a buck and he doesn't really know exactly where you're at, but he can smell you, he's going to blow down off that ridge where if you're down below and he's watching you, I mean, I, I would say probably nine times out of 10, they'll let you walk by, you know, unless you like stop and look up in their direction. Act like but a predator. If, yeah. Yeah. So if you're trying to like back to the bump and dump thing a little bit, which is basically my mentality all summer to try to bump them and see them was, um, if you're down below, I don't think that you're going to bump a lot of those deer and you might walk by a really good area, even though you have a pin mm-hmm. Or if you come in from the top, you know, sometimes it's kind of a pain to get up there and come in from the top, but you're, I don't think a buck's going to tolerate you being behind him and above him on a ridge. I think that, you know, the majority of the time they're going to want to get the heck off that ridge. Yeah. Yeah. I know when I scout and even in the winter, you know, if I'm, if I'm high or I've got, Oh, you know, I'm about to crest something, I'll slow down my walk that final, even if it's just 20, 30 yards to peak. Um, because, it, it, and this works way better if I don't have the dogs. If I have the dogs, man, I, I sometimes struggle to see deer, but I find every deer poop and they find antlers. It's, 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 it's almost better to take them because I do sometimes end up finding more stuff. But like, you know, I will, I, I, I will crest that, those, those little points to be able to see further. Um, and I do think that's a valuable oh, scouting type thought there is, is being high and, and, you know, you, you get that visual advantage. Um, you know, I could see where if a buck was laying there and he did confirm you were below him, like with thermals and, and visual sighting as well, like he might be able to ID you at, at 150, 200 yards and through uh, the timber with especially the leaves up, you can't see him get out of there. No, exactly. And, you know, a lot of times I think that it, it, it's quite possible that when you're down below, you might bump them harder too. You know, like a lot of, I can't think of a time I bumped a deer in Ohio in the big, in the big woods in the hills that I bumped him and he's just like tore out over the next ridge. They always like kind of, you know, jump, 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 get down in the bottom. And then they just kind of look back. And mm-hmm. if you stand still, they don't know where you're at. I mean, you know, you're in where I, most of my locations have like probably waist high to chest high undergrowth at that time anyways. So it's, I, I normally can watch them and they'll just end up walking off and going up over the next ridge. And I don't feel like I ever like really hard bump them. So if you want to target them like that, that's probably a good tactic to just stay up high. And yeah. it's more of a soft bump as opposed to like that hard bump where you're blowing them off the ridge real hard. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That's, that's a, that's a good thought there. So, okay. Oh, I remembered my question from earlier that escaped me when you, okay. You, you, when you looked oh, at your pieces, um, your, your five to seven pieces that said, this is a little better, a little more pins, not on the, the, the search engines, um, was drive distance a factor in that as far as I, I, I'm, uh, the more I do this, the more I discover that it's sometimes really nice to have a piece that I can get to on a more frequent basis or, or, or something like that was drive distance a, a factor. Like if you, if for the average guy who gets off work, oh, late in October, he can't drive two hours and get on a piece for an evening hunt, but he can drive maybe an hour and a half and get a solid maybe hour hunt. And, you know, there, there does become a line there. Was that something that was a factor for you? You know, it really wasn't for me. Um, and that's just because I, I really set up my life to be like a, the mobile public land hunter kind of guy. You know, I took the 12 hour night shift job instead of a day job. So I have more days off as much as I struggle with that. I have a lot more time to hunt and scout. Um, and then I just, I feel like moving to Columbus, I kind of centralized myself and stayed a little bit to where I could be in reach of a lot of those places. Now, I, I think that I do target um, some areas that are closer more than, you know, my two and a half hour drive spots. But I do have some spots that are two, two and a half, three hours that are just absolutely killer locations. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I didn't, I didn't really get enough of an opportunity last year to target some of those spots that I can't really speak for it too much as far as like drive distance and stuff, I think it would be a factor the later you get in the season, because you know, those, those drives, man, when you're like, say during the rut, if you're hunting all day and you have, you know, four and a half or five hours of drive time total, you're really, 
really racking up some time quick, you're going to wear yourself down pretty fast. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. I remember texting the group last year that before the time change, I was like, dude, the time needs to change because, you know, you're out in the stand that ex- the, the hour later um, because you're running on the sunrise sunset times. And I'm like, dude, I just, I'm, you know, it, it is a, it is a factor as far as, Oh, the, those drive miles add up and that evening hunt is tough. And it's like, it's like one of those things too, like, okay, I could camp or stay somewhere. Um, but there is something to sleeping in the, in the your, your own bed, um, you know, running out of your home base. Uh, is it, did the Jeep purchase also play a factor in that? Cause I think the Jeeps get a little better gas mileage than they, than say like my truck. It does a little bit. Yeah. Gas mileage is a little bit better. And I do have the ability to fold down my back seats and have a mattress in there. Um, it's still hot though in the summertime. So that's, that's kind of a bummer, but, um, yeah, I mean the big, that's, I think that's a reason why I really target, you know, the night hunts all year too, especially in October is just because of like driving time and stuff as well. Like I just, I have a lot of trouble just think, I mean, it would be a lot of work to say, wake up at three, drive to my spot, hunt the morning, um, you know, go scout during midday, hunt the night and then drive home. However far that is, that's just, that's a really long day for like my week of vacation. I take the first week of October or the first week of hunting season. Um, when I'm, when I'm targeting my night hunts, I feel like I'm just like, I don't know. I'm well rested. I'm energetic. I'm a lot more motivated. You know, I, I feel like I can take my time. I'm not, I just, I feel like I'm a lot more keen just hunting like either, you know, either morning or night, but doing both is just, I feel like it would, it would wear you down pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. And we just talked about drive time. I know you and I both look up to like Andy May and Joe, uh, Reapmeister. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that guys, but anyways, but like both those guys have talked, like, I think Joe lives within like 30, 20 minutes of some of the public he hunts. And so like, you know, to, to go glass that, to, to, to shine it. Andy May talks about going and checking tracks in a field on his lunch hour and, and, you know, working his day job. Like that's a, that's a significant advantage. Could you imagine, uh, Jake, if you lived even say 40 minutes from some of that better public, that's two and a half, three hours. Oh, 100%. And yeah, that's actually, I mean, I'm, I'm constantly trying to figure out, you know, it's, it's funny because listening to all the podcasts with Cody and Andre and all that, and I can like, I can recollect on some podcasts a couple of years ago. And I, I just remember a specific moment in a podcast that probably stuck with me more than anything. And it was Cody talking and I just, he was, he brought up, he's like, you know what? I have a lot of guys that tell me that I only kill, I only kill big deer because I live in Iowa and all this. He's like, well then move to Iowa. You know, like if you're, if you don't have big deer and you want to kill big deer, do what it takes. And that was kind of me moving here. And, you know, my next step is to try to, I want to buy a house closer to the public that I hunt. Like I'm always, I'm trying to just put myself in the best situation to be as close to these big deer as possible and just be able to target them more. And I, it's just, that was something that's so cool that stuck with me for so long that I just remembered. Jake, there's a house for sale around the corner. It's got a five acre lot, really good bow range set up. And you're already 30 minutes to the South, uh, you know, you're South Columbus. I'm, I'm, I'm not a sales pitch, but I'm a sales pitch. Hey man, it's pretty close. That's, that's definitely the area that I'm looking at for sure. <laughs> well, and, and it's funny you talk about that. Dave said something to me the other day that like when I moved from my condo up in the, the Polaris area, uh, North Columbus to where I live now in like the South corner, um, it did a lot for my, for me as a hunter and, and, and what I'm doing now, as far as, you know, with, with, with whitetail experience and stuff like that, just cause I, 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 I reduced a lot of my drive time by, by 30 minutes, you know, it opened up yeah, some I of these that, other pieces. Yeah. And that's honestly like, I work right downtown Columbus and I don't even look at houses to really like to the Northwest or North or Northeast of, of Columbus. It's just not even something that I'm willing to do because that adds a half hour, 45 minutes to most of my drive times. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, uh, it took, uh, it took, uh, the, what, what's up there, Delaware and, and Plain City. Like I was never considering those locations because majority of the public that would add almost 40 minutes sometimes to some of those commutes, you know? Oh, 100%. You know, if you like guys that are as passionate as we are, you know, this is such a big part of our lifestyle and, and what we enjoy doing. And I don't think that it gets talked about enough that these guys that are really elite, you know, obviously like, I don't think that I'm at that point by any means, but some of the guys that I really look up to 
have just dedicated so much of their life or like they do so many things that we don't really see to try to put themselves in good situations. You know, Dan Infall drives to work, like I believe like almost an hour commute so he can live right next to some really good public. Like he does the exact same thing, you know, and it just, uh, so many people move out to Iowa. So many people move to Ohio. And I think that that's one of those things that's just, if you, if you really are passionate about it, you're at some point probably going to have to, make some moves like that or do something to try to put yourself in a better situation. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, that's not talked about enough. So let me, let's, let's, let's head back to the summer scouting. What, um, Oh, do you have any tips or gear items or stuff that you found? Cause like, dude, walking around the woods in the summer is, is awful. The snakes are out. The, the dude, I forgot bug spray the other day. My ears got blasted by mosquitoes. I had a thermosel, but I'd already hung one camera. Um, you know, you're sweating buckets. Um, oh, I walked this like meadowy field and I was wearing these hiker pants and they're pretty thin, dude. But like, you know, those like needle type, I don't even know what to call them, but whatever. Like it felt like I was getting like all these needles were running through my thighs because, you know, it was those kind of bushes and like, it's not a fun time scouting in the summer. I'll just say that. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, so some things that I picked up, I, I mean, right off the bat, I wear brush pants. Um, like a really thin pair of brush pants. I think the pair that I like that I use the most that I'll probably buy a couple more of is like a browning pair. Um, okay. Interesting. Yeah. And they're pretty nice. I mean, they're, they definitely help out quite a bit for that reason. Like I just, you know, you get into all sorts of different briars and stuff and some of these clear cuts, especially. Um, but permethrin, like I use Sawyer's just because the ticks oh, yeah. seem like they're really bad this year. Um, that's, that's a big thing. I wear snake boots all year round. I, I mean, I, I hunt in them. I do everything with them until it gets cold. And it's a pair of uh, Irish Setter Vapor Track 2.0s, I believe. They're just like knee-high snake-proof boots. Yeah. And that helps a lot because that's something that, you know, being from New York, we don't have venomous snakes. And so moving down here, it was just, it was kind of in the back of my mind. I don't want to be focused on it. So um, they're, they're not like stiff or anything though. They're really good boots. Mm-hmm. Um, I put, you know, probably close to 500 miles on them in the last 15 months no way well i didn't yeah. scout that much but like they held up because i've heard i've heard the the kenetrix actually are, are a decent hiker boot um i've always thought well you know irish setter how did they do with making that hiker style boot uh is it something that's going to hold up long term they've held up really good for me. I mean, it's, they're not the most comfortable boot in the world. They're super lightweight. I mean, they're lighter than my Zamberlin hikers are like my ankle high Zamberlin hikers for out West. Mm -hmm. They're lighter than those. The only issue I have with them is they're not waterproof. So my feet get wet all the time, but it's just one of those things that I'm willing to trade off, you know, wet feet for not having to worry about snakes is nice. Dude, you talk talk about venomous snakes there. I was scouting in September. This has been years ago. And me and a buddy are walking and he is mid stride, you know, like right foot or, you know, right foot, left foot, left foot's in front of him, like mid stride jumps and yells snake. Um, kind of does like a hurdle type maneuver. Right. Yeah. Dude, it was a copperhead. And I, I, we stand there to my left, probably two and a half, three foot is another copperhead. Boy, I, I I keep my eyes to the ground now. And Dave gets mad at me sometimes in the summer. He goes, you're paranoid about snakes. So I was like, dude, too close one time. And, and, and I'll never I'll never not be scanning. And those boys in the south, forget it. I would not be in the timber. Yeah, exactly. I'll tell you what, man. Look into those boots. They're definitely – I mean, I know it's gave me, like, a huge peace of mind. And I, I hope it's not a false sense of security. You know, I'm still looking and stuff like that. But um, a lot of these spots that we're on, you know, like – from my understanding, the snakes in the summertime really love like north facing slopes or like because there's not a lot of sun on them and stuff like that. Okay. Well, a lot of my best bedding locations are north facing slopes because of the south wind. Mm. So it's just something to keep in the back of your mind. Um, but yeah, I would definitely say they're pretty good. I, I always carry, binoc- carry binoculars with a harness, um, a good water bottle. I actually just bought a grail, like a filtered water bottle and stuff so I can get water when I'm out there because there's nothing worse than hauling in like a gallon of water all day. I mean, that's a pain. Oh, that's a good point. Yep. So I got, it's like a compressible, you know, you can compress probably 24 ounces of water in maybe 30 seconds and it's filtered. 
Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Uh, had, had you ever considered like the life straws or anything else? I, I, that's the only other product that I know is like a packable filtered water source. I, I'm not. I have. Yeah. I just, there were so many good reviews on the grail that that's just what I decided to go with. Um, nice. But yeah, that's pretty much it. I, I've obviously I download my Onyx maps. So I have those because a lot of the areas I hunt don't have service. Yep. Yep. Um, Dave, did you hear that? Dave, did you hear that? Yep. How many times? I mean, I know for me, even last year with my buddy down here, I can't tell you how many times I'd get out there and not have that map downloaded and I didn't already have it loaded and then I don't have a map. Oh, dude, I have harped on the guys to do that. And then like to hear them bitch after we get there and they're like, I don't have service. I'm like, mother. <laughs> yeah. Even if you, even if you don't download them, as long as you have your Onyx opened and zoomed in on the area you want to be on before you get there and lose service, it'll hold that spot and GPS will take over enough to show your pins on the map. As long as you don't close the app out. Oh, geez. So that's a little. Geez, but I bet it sucks battery. I bet you got to make sure you got those portable charger guys. Oh, 100%. And that's another thing. Portable charger. Um, yeah. I always have a trail camera with me just in case I find something that I really wasn't expecting. But, but the majority, I mean, the biggest tool hands down for like summer scouting for out is, is honestly your feet. I mean, if you just put in the miles and you, you're, you're just getting out there, I think that nothing really beats experience. You know, no tool is going to beat that. No amount of e-scouting is going to beat that. It's just a matter of getting out there and really, you know, setting your eyes on a certain thing. Okay. Now, I, I guess to, to push pause on, on this, the, the, uh, the pursuit for, for the 2019 buck, how has that changed this year um, with you had the off season? And so you could scout and, and put miles on when it's a uh, one, there's antlers on the ground. And two, like you don't have all the BS that you got to deal with with summer scouting. Are you doing less boots to ground? Cause I'm somebody that doesn't necessarily, Oh, I'm not walking a lot of timber at this time. Like I'll glass, I'll put cams out, but I'm not, I'm not thicket stomping. I'm not putting boots on. Yeah, I'm really not. Um, I, you know, ideally I really like putting my scouting work in, in the springtime as much as possible when it's cooler out, um, okay. you can look for sheds and without all the undergrowth, you can really find the beds really easily and all that. Um, and so this year, not having that rush. Yeah, I definitely, I've got my, most of my cameras out. I'm really not going to be doing a ton of hiking around. I mean, it, I'm sure I'll have a couple spots that I want to go to that I want to just try to see if I can bump something off a ridge and get eyes on it at some point. But um, majority of my scouting this year at this point is just glassing and then waiting to check cameras in September. Okay. Okay. So were you putting out cameras then last summer, you know, trying to target something in 2019? Yeah. I just threw a bunch of cameras in my pack every day and I, you know, I had pens in mind and I'd walk in there and I, I didn't, I didn't get too, you know, encapsulated on a certain pin, I would, I would get into a location and then kind of let, you know, just my gut instinct take over and, you know, I'd find lots of rubs or I'd find a lot of really good community scrapes. Um, and I would just kind of base everything off of that at yeah. that point. Did you run your camera on scrapes in the summer? I did. Yeah. And I actually, if you can, I think I talked about this before as well, but if you can find uh, community scrapes in the big woods that are being hit and like, you know, June, it's a great location to get inventory. And I've got, you know, three or four of them this year that I've got cameras on like that. And I just, I'm pumped to check them because I know that all the bucks that are around there in those cuts are going to be coming out to those community scrapes, just like they were last year. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one of my bigger spots that I put cameras. I, I try to find as many of those as possible. They're really hard to find good ones though. And at least in my experience, I have a lot of trouble locating them. It's Honestly, more times than not, I kind of just stumble on them. Like, I'll be in a good area, and I'll just stumble on a good community scrape. Well, and Jake, you, let, let's also, like, back you up a little bit. You've only been here, a, uh, like I said, a year. So, like, if you hunt uh, the same piece, like, or if you scout the same piece twice and notice, wait, I already have a scrape marked here, and it's here again this year. Now you're like, wait a minute. Okay, this is a scrape that's year over year. I can go ahead and and, and maybe make the note that this is not just a, uh, a, a one-off scrape. You know what I'm saying? I think, I think those year, year over year scrapes sometimes take a little more time to, to, to find, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, like I've got so many of them marked now that I'm, if I come back and I say, Oh yeah, it's still here. And it's, you know, it's worn into the ground more. Hey, this thing is actually getting, you know, I didn't find a lot of them until September when I just assumed that they weren't community scrapes, but hanging cameras in June or July this year, go back in there and say, Oh yeah, look at that. That's getting hit right now. Like that's definitely, 
bucks coming off these betting locations and meeting right here. And, oh, look, there's a signpost rub there and stuff like that. Yeah. I, uh, I have deployed uh, probably seven to eight mock scrapes with a little bit of, like, synthetic sense this year. Uh, some I've used in, like, oh, in, in those, those um, oh, hub scrapes that are there year over year. But, like, I, I did try and, like, literally recreate my own. Will it work? You know, I was always looking for, for a spot that – deer were already using but then could i add a licking branch and clear away the dirt add a little synthetic um i should have some decent detail in 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 really two months as far as is that working is that an effective oh use of your trail cams and and money for synthetic sense i i i'll I'll give uh, an honest review at that point but i'll be um i'll definitely keep you posted on that yeah, I'm excited to hear about it for sure. Is that kind of your – what's your plan as far as cameras? Are you going to check them in September? Or are you going to check them earlier? Or? Um, so, yeah, obviously once August rolls around, I'll kind of be looking at my schedule, and, and it will depend on uh, wife, home life. I would like to – there's a couple farm country cams I got to pick up before hunting season just due to, like, you know, edges of, of fields and stuff. Like, it's just a, a higher risk area to get stolen. Um, I will pull – if I had to guess, over 50%, maybe close to 70, if I, or, or at least pull cards and, and swap SDs, some of that. Some of those cams I can't get to, all of them, and, and that's fine. They'll, hopefully, those are the better um, cameras as far as battery life is concerned. They'll wor- operate all the way into October. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the plan. I, I, I would guess I'd spend, let, let's say, uh, four hours in, in August, but I would really like to not touch those cams until September. But you know how life is. Uh, I'd like to go hunt Kentucky. I may have a media trip. Um, so it's, it's just one of those things that, that, that it, by spending a half day in August, I'll, uh, I'll at least get to some of them. But, but September would be a little more ideal because I feel like that shift happens. The acorns drop, the velvet drops these guys kind of shift a little bit. And so that Intel, even probably the first week of September is almost double the value of uh, the first week of August, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that's my plan. Uh, what about yourself? You, you have, I think on the last podcast we talked about it, you do an all out effort there in September. Yep. And I'm, I'm really trying to stick true to it this year. Um, I want to go in September and pull all the cameras. And the reason for that is, over the years, I don't know if it's because of a general shift or not or whatever it is, but it seems like if if I get a good buck on camera in September, I'm probably going to be pretty close to getting a, you know, being in the right area come October 1 or down here. It's, I believe, the 26th this year of September. Yeah. But it seems like they're always there that time of year. So, um, whereas if I pull cameras in August, let's say I might have bucks in a certain area that might not be there. And, you know, I don't, I don't know that for sure or not, but I just feel like I'm getting a better, um, a better pull and more actual like daily basis Intel, you know, in the last two weeks of September. And I really, I don't, I don't mind getting in there and, you know, bumping deer once or twice to do that or anything like that. I don't feel like it impacts them a whole lot. So, um, yeah, that's kind of my, my mentality on it this year. Yeah. And the other thing about September is like, if you're walking to check these cameras and you notice a couple of rubs, one, it's not like there's a lot of rubs at that time of year. And two, like, it's not like a rub, you know, if you walk through the woods in late, late October and see a rub, like you kind of need to check it out and see how fresh it truly is. But you walk by a rub in September, like one, there's not a lot of them Two, It's, it's, it's been made recent. Like, you know, that's not, that's not old information at this point. Yeah. And I think if, I mean, if you're finding them in September and they're good, like gnarly rubs, you're, I personally think you're, you're right there. You're pretty close to a good one. And uh, you're probably pretty close to his bedding that early. I don't, you know, they're not, in my experience, they're not really doing a lot of rub lines or anything that time of year. They're, they're making rubs. Don't get me wrong, but seems like the ones that I find always put me really close to good beds or good scrapers, some way of targeting that deer that time of year. You know, I, I really, if you want to get down to the, I killed my buck last year because I found that rub. I mean, I was walking up on the ridge, located that rub, looked up, said there's going to be a bed right there for sure, and bumped him out of his bed. And that was, you know, that's how the story unfolded. Now, you said you were looking up. What's up with that, man? I thought the tactic was coming from the top. 100%. I came down. It depends on the ridge system. That's a lot of it. And uh, came off a ridge onto another ridge, and so there had to be a little bit of up to get up there. But that was where I was headed, for sure. Sure, sure. I was just giving you giving you. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, you were, um, were you checking a cam that day? Were you, you, were you doing camera work and then just happened to go for a scout? Yeah, I was actually putting them out. I mean, that was, you know, I was so late to the show last year that I was just trying to get everything done. And, uh, that put me all the way in September, still hanging cameras. And mm -hmm. my mentality at that point was just let them soak and yeah. target some of the good spots. But it gave me the ability to get out there and get some really good, you know, boots on the ground, almost like in-season scouting. I mean, I was a couple of weeks away from season at that point. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, last year I was running cameras a lot later than this year. This year I've got, like I said, about 90% of them out right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, I mean, you, you had more time this year. You you had an off-season to scout. You could be a lot more um, effective as far as deployment and stuff. But, like, the thing I notice, um, you know, even driving on a piece, you're picking up information if if you're perceptive. Like, don't get me wrong. There's probably – uh, part of that is some hunter instinct. Part of that is, 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 you know, are you looking at just checking a camera or are you looking at two or three things like, oh, there's beans over there this year, you know, um, you know, new trail popping up tracks in these bean fields. Like, I feel like we're talking, you, you talk about deploying cameras, but it's so much more than that, you know? Oh, 100%. Yeah. And the wheels are always turning. I mean, I've been, you know, hanging cameras pretty consistently the last, we'll say last month. And I've even texted you a couple of times and been like, Hey man, like, yeah, I've, you know, I've got most of my food sources dialed in where as far as ag goes, I mean, I still want to get out there and verify some like white Oak flats that were good last year and stuff like that. Um, but for the most part, I mean, I've got most of my food sources already pinned of what they are this year. And that's definitely a huge step in the process. And that's one thing I, I, you know, for me, I don't want to hang my cameras too early because I want to hang them based on food sources as well. That's really important. You know, I'm, I'm a bed guy, but I'm a bed to food guy at the end of the day, early season. And, you know, I'm not just going to hunt a bed if I don't have a destination in mind. It's all about trying to cut off that destination. So that's just another side of it as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's huge. If you have a buddy that gets like, uh, literally me and Zoe were, were working a piece uh, two weeks ago, whenever I put out cameras. And he went the day before and he was able to, as he was like, he, he texted me three or four bean fields like, hey, there's beans here, alfalfa here. Like at least then, you know, that affects where I'm going to put a camera, you know, it's and, and then like I was going to an area. Um, oh, I want to call it rogue or whatever. But like, you know, I, I had off season scouted it and looked good. But I walked in there and, and there was not the bean fields that I was looking for. So I had to I had to spend a little more time scouting and being like, OK, where should I hang these cameras? to be more effective in this area. I want cameras here for information. Um, and, and I, I, I hung, let's see here two one. I found a bean field on the private two. I just picked a, um, Oh, a Creek crossing, um, set up a mock scrape there. And then a, a meadow, a cup of meadow, um, where there's clover on the bottom. There's clearly like, I know that I'm not the best idea of weeds and, and, and browse and stuff, but like, um, there was blackberry, there was um, or maybe a raspberry. There was some sort of berry they were they were eating, but a lot of clover in the bottom of this meadow. And uh, I've had decent luck hanging cameras on meadows uh, in general. Have you have you ever done that as far as a, a food a food source? Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. And uh, you know, it's like, like I said, same thing for me. I'm I'm really basing it off of the specific food sources. And you know, I really don't have. I do have a couple cameras like almost right on a food source this year, but I'm normally off of it a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just a matter of trying to, I, I guess one of the biggest things that I still try to figure out is how close do I want to set that camera to the bed to get like the most consistent pictures, but I don't want to be too far away from the bed, but I don't want to be, you know, right on the food source. And I'm just trying to balance that all too. And I, I think like, like this year for me, I went to a lot of spots over the spring that I was like, Oh, this is going to be beans again this year, or it's corn and, you know, same thing. Mm -hmm. And it's the exact opposite of what I thought it'd be. So it's kind of shifting on the fly and trying to figure out um, what time of year I think some of these spots will heat up and stuff like that too. Yeah. Like I would not, uh, and uh, Jake, you have way more experience. So, so please chime in on your two cents. Like I'm not hanging cameras on the edge of the bean or beans, uh, corn fields. Like if they have, even if they got that buffer strip, I know that it looks like a natural travel corridor, but I'm just like, man, I, I can use this camera on beans, alfalfa, um, oh, creek crossings. Those are the, like, I don't look at, at a cornfield as a, as a 
oh, even an A or B option for my, my, my cameras this time of year? Now, you know, I've, it, it really depends because for me, checking my cameras in September, I feel like the corn really starts to heat up about that time. Sure. So there, I do have some cornfields targeted with cameras. Um, I have, you know, one that's almost right on a cornfield, but then I have a lot of them that are based on beds that are coming to cornfields. Sure. And that's just more for the, you know, like if I was going to be like you and I had some obligations and I had to check my cameras in August, I probably wouldn't target a whole lot of cornfields, but knowing I'm going to go in there the last two weeks of September, I think that that makes it, you know, it's, it's going to be like a, prefer, a preferred food source at that point. And I think that uh, I can get a little bit of good intel. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a valid point there. Uh, that September shift, that corn becomes a, a key player. It's cover. It's just food. It's um, have you ever done the, the, have you ever uh, kicked the buck up in the corn or tried to sneak around it? Like uh, Eberhard has talked about that a few times. Dave and I have tried it once um, unsuccessfully. Uh, I, you know, I haven't really tried like stalking through it or anything like that, but yeah, I do have some spots that set up in like buffer zones of corn where it's, it's basically like an Island where a couple of trees in the middle of the corn. Yeah. Um, and those spots are pretty good. And I feel like what I've noticed is I've, I've never honestly seen a buck bedded inside the corn, but I see them bedded on those buffers a lot. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's something that I do target quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Did you hear that Andy May podcast where he like, he like stumbled across the thought on the podcast. I think this was the one he did with, with wired to hunt. And he was like, you know, out of my Northern Ohio bucks, I've never killed them in the timber. They're always in buffer strips or, or Oh, stuff you don't normally bow hunt. Uh, grasses, CRP. It sounded like it, it, he's like, I don't, I don't kill my bucks down there in, in uh, in the woodlots. And that's that's hilarious that you mentioned that, man. Um, I'm actually up in my family's right now, and it's you know when I lived up here, it was a long tradition where we would always go out and drive around before dark and look for bucks and stuff. And I targeted this one buck that would come out in this. It was the cut cornfield. And he would always be in it at night and we can spotlight up here. So I'd always see him. And I always targeted the timber behind that cornfield, right? Mm -hmm. Well, now knowing what I know now, a few years later, um, last night we're driving around and I was like, you know what? That island out there with that tall grass, like that buffer with like two or three willow trees by the creek, that's where those deer are bedded. They're not bedded in that timber. And I mean, it wasn't five minutes later, three or four does stood up, some bucks stood up out of that buffer. And I mean, I was... I was, you know, 500 yards out of the game on that for years hunting that woodlot and those deer were in the buffer. Um, so that's, Crazy. you know, that's one of those overlooked things. They, they're smart, they're keen, they know where we're at and they know where to be to be safe. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's cool. No, that was a sticking point for me. Uh, obviously I know you're a fan of Andy May and, and I thought I'd bring that up as we're sitting here talking about buffing buffer strips and whatnot. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I've definitely, uh, think that he's onto something there for sure. Well, Jake, we are we are approaching the hour mark. Uh, I got to get back and, and help out with the the kiddo. Um, but like, do you have any kind of? Oh, I know you've got the elk trip coming up. We've talked a lot about summer scouting. Um, actually, really, your whole approach to the, the how you got here in 2019 and killed that slammer that we talked about on the last podcast. Anything else, kind of top of mind right now, July, early July, that uh, you think we should mention or talk about for for a couple minutes? I think that um, the big things right now are just, you know, if you have time to be out there, it's, it's a great time to get inventory and it's a really good time to just be putting your plans together. Um, I think that, you know, if most of the guys listen to these podcasts are probably going to be, they want to, they're either pretty hardcore hunters or they want to get to that point anyways. So I think they already have like the year round approach and everything. Um, mm -hmm. But for me, I mean, a big key that I always try to keep in mind all year round is just being aggressive. And I'm looking at, you know, all these locations that I have and I'm just trying to like, even with my glassing, like I'm a pretty aggressive glasser. Like I'll get out in the woods if I have to, or I'll set up on the road off where I know they cross a ridge. Um, I'll get in camo sometimes and set up. And I think just being aggressive throughout the year can really lead you into good early season hunts. And that's kind of, that's kind of just uh, something that I try to just stay with all year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm somebody who really believes in cumulative hours, even even on a private land piece, like I work on my family's 18 acres and it's like, dude, I can't devote like five hard Saturdays, eight hour days, but I can, I can chip away two hours after a turkey hunt. Um, 
and and I roll that right into my public land hunt where I'm like, okay, like, you know, I can I can glass here, I can I can set trail cams here, and it's just like number of hours just accumulates into into success uh, from a year over year perspective. One hundred percent. I think that that's you know one of the most important things is just putting the time in, and eventually you'll you'll figure it out. I mean, I'm still learning so much every time I go out. I learn something, and it seems like the more hours I rack up, the more I realize that in the past how much I didn't know. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, every year that goes by, I'll feel that exact same way for a long time where you just, you're just, it's a progression for all of us. It's just trying to be the most consistent hunter you can be. Um, but yeah, I mean, nothing beats hard work at the end of the day. Yeah. 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 You really gotta, you gotta want it and you gotta work for it. Um, all right, Jake, well, I'm going to wrap this puppy up. Um, let's stay on the line here and, and we'll BS for five minutes and then I, I got to get back to it if you know what I mean. But guys, thanks for listening. Um, be sure, Jake, plug your, your, oh, plug your Instagram and your YouTube channel real quick. Yes, sir. So Instagram is Jake underscore Bush underscore solo. Um, and then my Instagram or my YouTube is Legends of the Hunt. All right. The other thing I want to mention, I got a, oh, I got a YouTube video, I think coming out this week. And I look at the true cost to running a trail cam and kind of interesting when you look at a $55 trail camera can cost you about 119 bucks if you run them right for the whole season. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you.